Well, good morning and welcome one more time to Encounter. Special welcome to those worshiping at our soft opening at Fulton Heights. Let's make sure they can hear us. Cheer them on. We love you guys. I think we can even hear you across town at Fulton Heights as well. That is so incredibly awesome. Hey, those dates, I just want to come back to one more time. September 12 is our fall launch. Some of y'all are new here. I don't know why it became Southern all of a sudden with y'all. Um, some of you are are new to encounter and you might not be sure what fall launch is honestly it's a massive party we bring food trucks in out on the lawn music games bounce house for the kids at both locations it's a way for us to kick off our ministry year and honestly um it's a party not just for a party's sake like it's a party for you to make an invitation it's an excuse for you to look over at your friend or family member coworker, colleague um, somebody that uh, somebody that your neighbors with and say listen I would love for you to help take your next courageous step of faith and maybe that looks like coming to church on the weekends maybe that looks like coming to my church I'd love to see you there and an invite for a free meal at one of the food trucks so it's uh, it's a huge party not just for a party's sake but for you to invite your one uh, listen we're kicking off a brand new series here at encounter called you're doing it wrong <laughs> you're doing it wrong and that's just a simple acknowledgement that sometimes um sometimes we have the sense don't we like when we get down and when we pray our prayers aren't passing the the drywall of the ceiling above us like the prayers aren't getting through the roof let alone storming the gates of heaven and going into the throne room of god they're just not moving all that far. And so what we're doing is we're just saying, like, why is that? Is it, is it possible that maybe there's, there's a way to pray and that there's a way to pray wrong? Now, none of us want to admit that. None of us want to, like, go there necessarily. But you can kind of imagine it like in Thanksgiving time when your Uncle Tommy sits down and he does his best, God bless him, to carve the turkey. And then he's the one also who gets to pray like over the meal. Nobody wants to be the one after he says amen to pull Tommy aside and be like, hey man, like I know you're my uncle, but like are you open to some constructive feedback on your prayer? Because listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't think God heard it. Like, like, like have, you, have you thought that maybe that was a bad prayer, Tommy, and we got 364 days to prepare for next Thanksgiving? Can we work on this, workshop it together to get it in Thanksgiving shape in a year's time? We don't want to be that person. Tommy doesn't want you to be that person. Tommy is absolutely made up, by the way. There's not, if you meet somebody, don't, don't go there. But the truth of the matter, though, is that there's a way to pray, and there's a way to pray wrong. And in maybe our sober-minded, sober judgment right now, we can go to God and we can, we can kind of understand maybe a little better way to pray together as a community. But the foundation of this whole time together is this acknowledgement that the, that the worst mistake that we could possibly make is getting too anxious or, or too nervous about the way that we pray that we end up not praying at all. So what I want to tell you is the words that you use in prayer matter less than whether or not you pray. You could say that what you say is less consequential than if you pray. And so throughout this series, three parts, what we're going to do is is invite you to become a regular prayer uh, to learn how to do this thing better. So you can pull out your phone right now. That's cool. We're phone friendly. You can text the number 94000. It's just a simple message. Pray daily. No spaces. No punctuation. Just pray daily to 94000. It's also on that square card that you came in this morning. And we're going to send you a, a reminder. 
uh, every day for the installment of the series. Uh, so it's going to be two weeks, 14 days, 14 reminders to pray at noon. Because remember, the words uh, that you say are less consequential than whether or not you pray. So we want to get you in. We want to we be a praying community together, and that's our way of helping. Uh, so th- th- for our time together, though, we're, we're acknowledging that we want to get better at praying. There's a way to pray. There's a way to pray wrong. Throughout these three series, we're going to acknowledge that a couple of the ways that we can pray wrong. Uh, number one, uh, a performance prayer. Uh, number two, it's a gimme prayer. That's next week. And number three, a stain remover prayer. These are three bad prayers. These are three ways that we pray wrong. And we're here, Jesus, break into them this morning, identify them, and then replace these bad prayers with something so much better. And we need that. We need that. Because sometimes when we feel like God doesn't answer our prayers long enough, our prayers kind of shrink back and retreat, don't they? They shrink back and they they retreat and we end up praying for things that honestly are just going to happen anyway. Because we want want to have God answer our prayers, so we end up praying things like, God, when I go to the mall this Tuesday afternoon, would you answer my prayer? Would you give me a parking spot? It's like nobody's at the mall on a Tuesday afternoon. You got a parking spot because everybody else also got a parking spot. Our prayers, they like retreat back to the the level where they're, they're just going to happen anyway. God, would you help my team win this weekend? Your team is probably going to win this weekend because maybe you sold your soul out to Tom Brady and whatever team he's playing on at the time, and so he wins most of his games anyway. God answered that prayer, okay. Like the, the prayers, they retreat back when we, don't, when we don't get answers to them. But then when it comes, honestly, when it comes to the big stuff, God, I need you to show up. I recognize, God, that what I'm asking for is nothing short of moving around the laws of nature. God, I'm asking for a miracle on my child's behalf. And when time goes on, and it doesn't feel like God answers that, it starts to feel, doesn't it? It starts to feel like maybe, maybe after we hear nothing for long enough, it starts to feel like we're praying to nothing at all. So we want to pray better. We're going to address these bad, bad prayers, and the first one that we're going to address is a performance prayer. Listen, a performance prayer, quick definition, a performance prayer is simply praying with an expectation that the outcome will be based on past performance or past achievements. God, I showed up for you, and now I expect you to show up for me. God, I stayed away from, so I expect you to bring me into. Past performance predicts future prayer outcome. It's a performance prayer. And we're going to see Jesus address this thing in just a moment. And Jesus is absolutely going to wreck it. But then he's also, he's also going to introduce us to something much better, a much better way to pray. So let's go there. If you have your Bibles on your phone with you um, or, a, or a paper one, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to kick it off in verse 5. And Jesus starts it off, and he says, oh, and when you pray, 
which I love, right? When you pray. Because even though we're talking about bad prayers, Jesus is still assuming that we're still, we're still praying, right? Because the words that you say are less consequential than if you pray. So when you pray, and he starts with the do nots. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like them. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, because we're all praying, when you pray, even if you pray badly, when you pray, don't be like two groups of people, uh, the hypocrites. Don't be like, number one, uh, those in the synagogues. Uh, don't be like, number two, uh, the guy standing out on the street corners to be seen by everybody. I want to acknowledge there's a bit of a cultural gap here. <laughs> uh, synagogue, prayer, life guy. Uh, ancient times, 2,000 years ago, Jerusalem, epicenter of synagogue worship. Communities, business, school, life, everything revolved around church. Everything revolves around the synagogue. Uh, people would go there together. and It wasn't just like going to church. It was going to the center of life. The centering of your week, they would show up at the synagogue and uh, a rabbi would ask for maybe some volunteers. Who wants to do the reading? Hands shoot up. And a rabbi would pick on somebody to come up to stage and like do the reading. They didn't have books. Reading out of the scroll was a huge privilege. Leading prayer in worship as a community is a huge privilege. I don't think that the recognition was limited to just the synagogue, just worship, just that hour. I think that if you were the guy or the lady that got picked to read, I think that you could also be the one that got picked to lead during the week as well. I think if a rabbi or religious authority picked you as an example of others, I think the sales pitch on a Tuesday afternoon would go better for you too. I think there was something very human about getting to be the one to get picked. I told some of you this in the past, but for years and years I did a, a Bible study with a few guys at uh, Panera up here of Kalamazoo Ave. And uh, after a couple years, one of the guys, one of the guys, he looked over at me and he told me that um, he likes doing the Bible study at Panera early in the morning. I'm like, cool. This is good. Is it the coffee? It's not the coffee. No, I like doing Bible study here because I usually meet clients right afterward and it looks good for me to hold my Bible. I think there is something very real, very human, about being the one to be noticed spiritually. Culturally, we don't stand on the street corners uh, to be seen by other ones in our prayer. They didn't either. This wasn't a normal, this wasn't a typical thing, but they would have set times, like noon, a text to remind you, if you text pray daily to 94,000. And when they got the alert to come and, uh, and to pray, they would pray wherever they happened to be. And so Jesus was observing that some people would strategically place themselves at opportune streets. Heading on over to 28th Street and the East Beltline, the busiest intersection in West Michigan. 
and hanging out in the Chick-fil-A parking lot because that just makes sense and praying so that everybody will see. Listen, I get that there's a gap culturally between where we are now and wanting to be seen, wanting to be noticed, and where they were then. Let me, let me just ask, no show of hands, no, just ask yourself. When you pray, when you pray, is there just a, like a little part of you that wants somebody to notice? Wait, wait, wait. When you pray, is there like a little part of you that wants God to notice? Did you see that, God? God, I downloaded the Bible app. I've been doing devotions. I mean, verse of the day kind of stuff. It, it's pretty light, but God, it, it keeps a, a counter, keeps a streak. Did you notice, God, my streak? Over 50? Just want to make sure you notice that. And you notice, God, that I'm like, I'm working hard at this thing? I mean, I may be new to Christianity, but, but I'm like digging in. Or I'm, I'm, I'm rediscovering the faith of my childhood for the first time in a long time. And, I'm, and I am digging in. I am I'm performing for you, God. And I need you to notice it. God, did you notice Susan in accounting mixed those two numbers around? She didn't mean to, but it happened. And numbers aren't her thing. That's a bad trait for somebody in accounting. And it lost the biggest sale of the quarter for me. You know? But Jesus, you always say, turn the other cheek, Jesus. So that's just what I did. I didn't let her have it like I wanted to. I turned, turned the other cheek. Jesus, I just need to know that you know that you noticed it. You noticed it, right? Speaking of streaks, we went to the all-staff meeting. Some ideas were presented, some ideas that I have been working on for weeks. And as the ideas were presented, it was my boss that took credit for the work that had been done. This is also a streak up to 50. Everyone is subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for which God has instituted. I let it go again, God. I just need to know that you know, that you notice. Walking through the house. Middle of the night, I told my kids to pick up their things at least a hundred times that day. And then, I, and then I step on one of those Legos. There's a reason why doctors use a scale of one to stepping on a Lego at night for pain. And I step on one of these things. I didn't let my kids have it like I wanted to. God, I just need to know that you know. You notice, right? 
You noticed this? You noticed that I was invited to the party. I had an alibi for the party. I was available for the party, and I knew where the party was. But God, I didn't go because I didn't think that you would want me there. And I just need to know that you know and that you noticed because, God, I'm going to cash this thing in at some point. I don't know what it is right now, but when the time comes for me to ask for your help, I need you to notice that my past performance has some success behind it. Guys, we do this. We perform. It might not be performing for others, but we perform. And Jesus says, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't be like one of those hypocrites. Don't be like one of those performers. Number one, don't be like that because, because it's bad theology. Because a performance prayer is grounded in the mistaken understanding that God's love is only as strong as my past achievement. And it's just, it's not right. Because by believing that, you might find yourself believing that there's something that you could do, some achievement that you could have that would actually make God love you more, that would make God pay more attention to you, to make God listen to your prayers a little bit more. And the scary part of it is, if there's something that you can do to make God love you more, there's probably something that you could do to make God love you less. And it's just not true. It's not good theology. It's not who God is. And so Jesus says, don't, don't, don't be like that. There's a sense that when it comes to hypocrisy in the faith, that Jesus has so little patience for it. You could probably even say he has less patience for hypocrisy in faith than anything else. Don't be like that. Because the, the failure and the sin that we confess will be freed from. But the failure and the sin that we keep to ourselves will be held responsible for it. And so Jesus has no patience for hypocrisy and faith. Don't be like that. Don't perform. Don't ask God if he noticed. Because if that's what you care about, it's just noticing... Jesus wraps it out, and he says, you've received your reward in full. That's all there is. If all you care about is somebody noticing, that's it. And you, and you get the sense, like Jesus has something more than just being noticed in mind. Like there's a reward that he's alluding to. There's something beyond that. There's a treasure beyond that that we miss out on if we settle for just being noticed for our achievements, just being noticed for our performance. We miss something so much greater. Let's go there. Let's continue on. In verse 6, Jesus continues, and he says, For the second time now, but when you pray, when you pray, remember, because what you say is less consequential then if you pray, so text 94,000, go into your room, he says. Go into your room and close the door. A couple of interpretations on this one. They didn't have doors. So it's a, a bit of some speculation from this point out. Very few people 
had doors on their homes. Even fewer people had sub-rooms within their house that they could go into. So it's a little bit, um, it's a little quirky to kind of try to uh, sort this one out. So I'm just going to present a couple of possibilities for you. Um, first of all, they didn't have a huge amount of things of value in their homes, but the things that they did have, uh, tools. Uh, if they were a, a potter, a blacksmith, a farmer, they, they would have some tools. Those things you would want to lock up. So they had a, a tool shed, shared. That had a door. That had a lock on it. Go into your room, close that door. Go into the tool shed. Some of you guys are like, my garage has been sacred space my whole life. <laughs> You're not wrong. There's a, there's a comment here, there's a point here about uh, what space is sacred space. All of it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, there's another possibility, though, that Jesus meant it not so literally, but, but figuratively. They had, um, they had prayer, they had shawls. Uh, that they would put over their head, uh, sometimes called a talit. And what they would do is take the corners of it, wrap it around their head, uh, cover their face. It'd be like a personal tent. So they could have some time with God. Actually, John Wesley uh, wrote of like Wesleyan tradition. Uh, he started the movement. He, he wrote that his mother, who had 19 kids... Pause for emphasis. <laughs> Would sometimes take her apron and pull it up over her head and go into the corner. And all the kids knew mom's having some alone time with Jesus right now. Let her be. It's a talit. It's a it's sacred space. Whether it's a tool shed, whether it's underneath a canopy, it doesn't so much matter. The, the point of it is. The point of it is uh, privacy without distractions. Privacy without distractions. Find that sacred space. Privacy without distractions. This could be a where. This could be driving in. This could be a chair to sit in. This could be at your kid's bedside before they go to sleep at night. It's privacy without distraction. This could be a where. This could be a when. This could be the wee hours of the morning when nobody else is awake. This could be walking around the parking lot, talking to God on your lunch hour. It could be a where, it could be a when. The point is, it's privacy without distraction. When you pray, go into the room, close the door, continuing on, verse 6, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus wrecks the idea of a performance prayer and he introduces the concept of a relational prayer. When you pray, have you thought about praying to God as if he were a family member? I gotta stop there and just kind of acknowledge that some of you have not had a very good relationship with your father. It was cold, it was distant. And it has long been understood that your relationship with your father has an impact on how you understand the relationship you have or don't have with your heavenly father. Some of you dads, some of you who are going to be dads, may those words just weigh heavily on you. Take them seriously. In a very real shape, you have an impact of shaping the faith of the ones you love most. Don't overlook that. 
Some of you with a relationship with your father that's cold and distant, sometimes he was demanding, even excessively so. I want to introduce many of you to a gentleman you might not be aware of. His name is Andre Agassi. Uh, he wrote a book not too long ago called Open. It's his autobiography. Uh, just did a straw poll earlier. Sounds like about one in four of you remember him and, and know who he is. He's a tennis player. He's a tennis great. Listen, this guy was number one in the world in 1995. He, he sloped, he dipped a little, he climbed back out of that hole to number, 90, uh, number one in the year 1999. I mean, he, he's good. He turned pro at the age of 16. How is it that you turn pro at the age of 16? He had a head start as a kid. His dad would put him out on the court and turn on a machine and fire tennis balls at him. Now his dad, just for a little more, just for a little more intensity on it, he would, he would add pieces to the machine, an extra long barrel, an extra wide chute, just to make it look like a little more intimidating. His dad called it the dragon. He would shoot balls at 110 miles an hour at his kid in the desert sun in Las Vegas, Nevada. His dad was convinced that if he hit 2,700 balls a day every single day, which amounts to about a million tennis balls a year, by the time he was a teenager, he would be unbeatable. Agassiz writes in his autobiography that he was seven when he started hitting a million balls a year. He writes about the relationship he had with his dad, and I just want to read it for you. In the book, he says that my father yells everything twice, sometimes three times, sometimes ten. Harder, he says, harder. Hit earlier. Hit earlier. Crowd the ball. Crowd the ball. Now he's crowding me. He's yelling. It's not enough to hit everything the dragon fires at me. My father wants me to hit harder and faster than the dragon. He wants me to beat the dragon. He says he can hear his parents, his dad's performance voice ringing in his ear, even as he's a professional on the courts of Wimbledon. Hit harder, crowd the ball, slay the dragon. Do better. Hit harder. He couldn't separate the voice of his dad demanding performance, demanding that he slay the dragon from the voice of God. How could he? How could you? How could any of us? You know, the way that he talks about faith, it sounds suspiciously like how the, how the world relates to us, doesn't it? Slay your dragon. Perform harder. Do better. You've got a dragon in your life. Maybe it's the websites that you visit. Maybe it's the bottle in your cabinet that few people know about. But slay your dragon. Once you slay your dragon, then you can come before your father. Then he'll love you because you've achieved enough. Slay your dragon. 
and then God will listen to you when you pray. Jesus addresses that in verse 7, the world, and he says, and when you pray, don't keep, don't keep on babbling like, like pagans. Underline that, like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. No, don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Don't be, don't be like the pagans. Listen, listen. Approach matters when you enter the throne room of God. Don't be like the pagans. So, some of us, when we think of pagans, what we think of is is like the far end of, of angry atheism. We, we think of pagans as pitchforks running around, uh, images of the occults, uh, people Ouija boards, like, like pagans. When Jesus addresses pagans, he is not talking about the very, very irreligious. He is talking about the very, very religious. Don't keep on babbling. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words. They think they're going to be heard because of the length of their prayers or the words that they use in their prayers, or how hard they're faithing, about how they're dialing in the combination of more faith, less sin, and they can get it just right. No, no, don't be like that guy. Don't be like them. That's how the world relates. It's performance-based. It's not Christian. Approach matters. He says, don't, don't babble. Don't think that you're heard because of your many words. It's interesting, these words that are used. Uh, babble. 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 It's, it's an onomatopoetic word. It, it sounds like what it is. It's, it's just going on. Sometimes in the Greek you that's used, word that's used here is, is sometimes translated to empty. I think, don't keep on using these, this emptiness. Think that you'll heard because of your many words. Sometimes that word, many, is translated elsewhere as anxious words. It's nervous energy that's expelled off. Uh, emptiness, anxiety. This is the result of always kind of wondering where you stand with God. You'll start to find yourself in a relationship that's not really a relationship at all. It's, it's empty and it's anxious. I don't know where I am. I don't know whose I am. Approach matters. Don't be like them. There's a religious way to pray, and there's this Christian way to pray. This Christian way to pray is marked not anything that you have done, but already by what he has finished, by what he has accomplished several thousand years ago on the cross. The pagan way to pray, the religious way to pray, the performance, achievement-based way to pray is me-centered. The Christian way is him-centered, relationship-centered. The performance way that we like to pray is believing that God's love is based on little more than our past achievement. The Christian way of praying is to say that there's nothing we could do to make God love us or hear us any more or any less. And listen, church, approach matters. So Jesus finishes it out in verse 9, and he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father. Our Father. Not, not, not that Father. Our Father. Who's in heaven. Our Father who is so incredibly infinite, but also at the same time radically intimate. Our Father his, who is beyond our comprehension is also right there beside us. Our Father. Not based on performance, based on relationship. After Agassi hit number one in the tennis standings in 95 and he started to dip, at the same time he started to feel his inside crumble. Still living in Las Vegas where he grew up, he would sneak in to a church in that area. He'd sneak in after the music starts, you know, when it's dark. He would stay for a little bit of the message and then, and then take off a little early afterwards just to make sure that nobody saw him that he wasn't seen at, at a church. Pretty soon his insides just, just kept on crumbling in the book open. He goes on to say, I needed help. I didn't know where to go. I somehow wrestled up the phone number of the pastor at that church. I called him up. Can we talk? Sure. I drive over to his house and knock on his door. The pastor invites me and I say, no, no, not yet. And we go for a Go for a drive instead? Pastor kind of looks around him and sees a brand new white Corvette. Drive sounds nice, let's do that. For hours, they tour around the Las Vegas Strip, then on into the, into the desert. One or two in the morning, he's just going off. He tells his dad about performance, about needing to be better. He starts going on about how angry his dad was. He, he starts talking about how... That performance rings in his ear every ball that he hits. And he's angry about it now and he can't get the voice out of his head. And the pastor sitting in the passenger seat next to him and the vet in the desert on that day and looks over and says, you know, your, your dad is, you know, your heavenly dad is nothing like your earthly father. You know that, right? Agassi says, listen, I almost drove the car right off the shoulder when I heard that. Say it again. Your heavenly father is nothing like your earthly dad. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. He makes him repeat it again and again and again. You know, your heavenly father loves you to death and back again. And he wants nothing more than for you to be his treasured daughter or his precious son. He loves you. And there's no prayer that you could perform or achievement that you could scratch off the list that could make him love you more or any less. It's based on what he has already done. We're a family. And he's our father. I think in a family, it's appropriate to come together at times. We're going to come together right now in, in kind of a unique way, maybe stretching for some of you, but 
This is something in the, in the church. Uh, sometimes it's called communion. Sometimes uh, Eucharist. Sometimes the Lord's Supper. It's called by a lot of different things. But what it is, very simply, it's a family meal hosted by our Father in heaven. Maybe you've got one of these juice cups when you came in, Fulton Heights. This is your opportunity to grab one now. Somebody's going to be around, pass them out. You can just put your hand up if you want just to grab one. We've got a couple of people snaking through the aisles. It's just a kind of a point of detail. There's two lids on here. The first one peels back. There's a cracker. The second one peels back, and there's juice. You can open those up and get ready right now. You'll be invited to take that at any time during this final song. But listen, I want to acknowledge something together. That this, this is artificial, isn't it? That this, that this isn't enough. And maybe that's just kind of the point. That it's just a down payment on the feast that's to come. It, it's just a small token, a small reminder right now, the presence here, that will be fully paid one day when we meet God in heaven and we enjoy what the Bible calls in the Revelation, the wedding feast of the Lamb, when all nations, tribes, languages, and tongues are gathered before the throne of God, declaring, worthy is the Lamb. Lord, haste the day. So I want to invite location pastor Joe to come forward at Fulton Heights as well. I invite all of us across all of our locations to stand up and let's pray as one family scattered across multiple locations. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, you're infinite and you're behind, beyond our comprehension, but you're also intimately beside us. God, I pray that as we take this act, you'll meet us here. You'll meet us here. God, I pray for the one person who's hearing these words and saying, yes, I've done everything I can to earn your love, and only now am I realizing that I couldn't. You've already done it. God, break down those barriers that we put up. God, may we be real and vulnerable with you this week. We pray, Lord, that you meet us in this powerful act. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.